you're like, oh, I haven't eaten all day because every time I go to sit down and the tour manager just yells down the hallway and goes, we have enough towels. And you're like, fucking hell, do you need 22 towels right now, mate? Welcome to the latest edition of The Rep Shift. How you doing, Tom? I'm good, man. Yeah, how are you? Good. I went to my first show of the year this this uh, this uh, last Sunday. Spanish love songs. Spanish love songs. Yeah, great band. Really how good. How was it? It's great, man. Sunday night. Zero uh, percent beer. Yeah, lovely. No issues. What was the zero? Uh, I can't remember. Okay. Can't can't it. I didn't can't see it. it. <laughs> I mean, kind of glass. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, fair enough. I wasn't paying much attention. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't zero. I don't know. Maybe that's why it tastes so good. Yeah, fair enough. Um, right, great. The, great, the great thing about the show was um, the band, um, I guess probably knows them quite well, but um, uh, they went on a bus and it wasn't a splitter, it was kind of like a bigger, uh, like, it wasn't a Luton either, it was just a kind of longer bus, which they were obviously just, you know, sleeping on. Right. And um, when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's going to be a squeeze in there of all of them, like yeah. six of them. Lead singer six four as well, so he is having a rough old time of it. So what are you talking like van, almost like a minibus situation, but sleeper sleeper van, really? Yeah, it wasn't. It was I, I, I don't know. It was just uh, it wasn't like a double decker bus. It was just it was a single single bus, but not as yeah. like you know not a big lemon right. or anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, Speaking of which, have you ever seen the Mary Wallopers van? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, Ricky, have you seen that? The the Mary Wallopers van, no. Yeah. They got like a unique one. Mate, Google it right now. It's it's called the Mobile Crack Unit. <clears throat> B-R-A-I-C. And uh yeah, they, they played comedia once, they played it with us a few times, and they turn it's got like this sprayed like graffiti sprayed on um montage of them and like the Guinness Harp logo on the side and it just says like mobile crack unit. And then they yeah, they drove it the wrong way down this sort of um one way street to load in and just sort of Parked it sort of haphazardly out the back. It's it's in, it's an incredible uh, piece of kit. Yeah, I, I'm just looking at it now. That the design on the side, the decal is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's good stuff. It looks like one of those uh, mobile libraries that used to come to yeah, your yeah, estate. Yeah. That's exactly it. Totally. Yeah. Um, right. So it's on that, I mean, oh, hello. Who's that? Mabel. Mabel the dog. Sorry, I realise we're not doing a we're not doing a video one. So for anyone on Spotify, this isn't gonna that's not gonna make sense. Uh, but yeah, so it seems I've sort of slightly just introduced you there, Ricky, ahead of time. Um, really pleased to have with us tonight uh, Ricky Bates from Joiners. Um, Ricky, would you mind giving us a bit of a a bio about yourself and sort of your job and who you are? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm Ricky. I started, I didn't live in Southampton. I started in Kent. So I kind of started going to shows in uh, Canterbury and Ashford. And I moved to Southampton to be a music student. And it was totally terrible. Um, I'm not going to stay with university. There's only two. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and then I started uh, bar managing in venues that were down in Southampton. Uh, and then basically was like oh this is pretty cool so then i started doing gigs in my house um and notable names of gigs were like the front bottoms and creeper and narwhals wow. and uh human the atom bomb uh a hot boston manor stuff like that nice. they would no one would book them at that point so yeah. wild isn't it yeah and um so i was like well fuck it just come play in the house and uh we'd, we'd drag a, <laughs> a vocal pa in with a yep. full back line 
And then we'd have like 40 or 50 people just destroying my house, basically walking on the ceiling. Perfect. Um, and then that just got a bit out of control. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. My, my house is fucked up. So, yeah. um, and I was like, could I make this into a career? So then I started hiring the joiners um, at, for shows. I did like Polar Bear Club and Wilhelm Scream and bands like that first. Okay. Uh, and then the joiners got in a bunch of trouble financially. They asked me to help. Uh, and then there's another long story in the mid there. But then basically I ended up becoming the in-house booker because the people they were employing at the time were club promoters and not yeah. live promoters. Um, and yeah, and now it's 10 years later. Wow. <laughs> is, there a, yeah. uh, is there a particular gig where you thought, oh, actually I can like do this as a, as a career, as a job? Um, I think it was when, it, before I started in the house at the joiners, cause I didn't make a single pound on a show for like three to four years. I'd never, ever ma- made money like ever. Mm-hmm. It was like the whole you know, you were stuck in this kind of DIY hardcore punk thing where it was frowned upon to make money and not give, give, pay yourself for doing work, which was weird. Right. Um, and then when I started to be around other promoters from the indie scene and, you know, other, other scenes like metal and things, they were like, well, no, you should like pay yourself for the work that you do. So I think. You know, there was a really terrible show. At the time I was still a student, I lost like five or six hundred pounds and I couldn't eat for the whole month, basically. <laughs> oh, uh, and, and then I was like, do I really want to do this shit? And I'm going down to like, you know, cash converters to sell stuff to pay bands because avocados ripped me off again. Surprise. Um, <laughs> um, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, I don't remember a set gig where I, I was like, I could do this for a living. I think it was once I I understood there was like a professional side to it mm-hmm. um, rather than just doing it as a hobby. I was like, oh, okay. So maybe I'm pe-. because as soon as I, I kind of was around the other, the people at the joiners at the time, they were like, why are you paying this band 800 pounds? And I was like, what? And uh, I was like, what do you mean? And they were like, well, it should be half that. And I was like, what? What do you mean? <laughs> like you know, it's, it's like a it was it was a learning curve. Really, totally. <laughs> because well I wasn't doing cost things and settlements, and mm-hmm. you know, I was just like, oh, yeah, sure, man, just take eighty percent of the door, and that was it. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah. Uh, yeah, then I I learned very quickly that I'd been fucking up for <laughs> at, at least three or four years, but then it was like. That was the thing because I had two regular jobs and then I was a, a DIY promoter, so to speak. So I never took it as a career choice. And then I think once I got into joiners and understood the mechanics of how yeah. industry works, then I was like, okay, I can I can do this mm-hmm. as a job, um, you know. But yeah, I th- I think it was yeah 2012. Do you think that like obviously by doing all of those kind of you know, punk DIY shows, you, you made your name for yourself. So when the joiners did happen, like your transition into booking bands and making the joiners what it is, was a, a, a bit easier than the most, you know, new venue starting up. Yeah, there's definitely an element of, because I trudged through so much like um, mud and shit to sewage to get to where I was. Cause it's really odd. Cause I tried to get a job at joiners and other venues in Southampton and none of the in-house staff would like touch me because they were like, well, 
you just do these crazy house shows and you you know you do the odd <laughs> you know you do the odd like the the odd gig in real venues every now and then we were using places like hamptons with ceremony and painted black and stuff like that but the shows were just so wild everything would get destroyed yeah um and then i'd have to pay the venue to fix the venue and then you know the, it, it's a different thing isn't it when mm-hmm. you're you know when you're doing it as a hobby but um i think it definitely prepared me to go in to join us with the mindset of being like oh now i can use someone else's money so to speak and then the risk is taken away from me a little bit but i had to uh apply a business mindset to what i was doing rather than just being like well let's do a gig this is super fun and awesome and it's chaos and there's four bands sleeping on my floor and blah you know it's like you know and if you don't get any sleep and everyone your water bills through the roof because there's <laughs> 22 people that need to shower it's like <laughs> you know it's um coming from that and then going into the thing where they're like well actually you have a choice in this you could you could kind of ride it like a professional right Mm -hmm. or you can you can just do it i never wanted my shows and stuff to be um like bleached i wanted it to be like a in between diy and professional like i wanted it to to ride that because I know mm-hmm. that's what I always felt with um with the crowd and having mojo barriers and stuff like that. I I've, I've always kind of been like, well, we don't want to put the barriers up between the whether it's a physical barrier or like a professional barrier between the crowd and me as the promoter and mm-hmm. them as the audience. Yeah, totally. I've always felt like that everyone's just there for the same reason, and us as promoters, nobody's buying a ticket to see us. We're like this hidden thing, right? Totally. So uh, no one understands the work that goes into it. So I was always like, well, I, I've always been like, it needs to be fun, but it needs to be professional at the same time. Yeah. So that's where I, I, I learned how to do that very quickly at the joiners. I was like, okay. But they were also totally fucking shit at running their business. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, when, so when you came in, Ricky, was it, you know, you, you mentioned on the sort of the, um, the financial, you know, issues. And I know that's been a thing a couple of times when, you know, there's been like um, sort of public crowdfunders and stuff to try and sort of save the joiners. When you came in, was it sort of a complete overhaul or was it you sort of doing some of the stuff that you'd been doing in your house and bringing that in and sort of curating your own or was it a mixture of, did they have some things that were already working? Yeah, they had, it was a me- It was a mess. So if you, if you kind of, because we have all the diaries of all the way back, you know, to, to pride before I was there. Yeah. So for example, in, uh, 2011, October, they'd have like seven shows. Right. Okay. And I was, well, that, that's like mid touring season. So realistically, you, you know, once I got into the swing of it, I was doing 28 shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's like, and, and, and that's realistically what the venue needs to survive, whether it's making money on a show and then mm-hmm. lifting it. Cause as we all know, you, you do one show to then, you know, cover the loss on another show. Yeah. So if you're only doing seven shows and five of them lose and two of them make money. You're just going to pile up debt, aren't you? It's sure. Like, yeah. Um. So yeah, I kind of took the uh, mindset of the shows that I was doing as an individual outside of joiners, and then applied that ethos and those ideals to every single show that was happening in the venue because they weren't promoting them properly. No. 
you know they had club promoters doing um live which they just were terrible at and the, the yeah they didn't understand it and they also didn't care because they were still getting them wage right so yeah. they were, they're getting paid and the guys like who's running the business at the time is just building up more and more and more so I, when I started in house in November 2012, they had 67,000 pounds of debt. Um, and they had, uh, I think the landlord originally was like, you have three months to pay it. And I was like, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, where did, where do I get 70 grand from? Like, like that's like not even a thing. And it was like, right. it was like, good luck, get tapped on the shoulder you know, by Pat, who's still there now. Um, I was like, okay, we'll figure this out. And then I, the first port of call was obviously Frank Turner, mm-hmm. um, who I'd become friends with through the DIY punk scene stuff. Yeah. So we got him. And obviously, Joiners is his venue where he grew up and yeah. where Million Dead come from and stuff like that. Um, so I called him up and was like, can you do this show? And he did a show on his birthday, December 28th. And I was like, I'll give you a bottle of Jameson's <laughs> as a gift <laughs> to do this show. And uh, we put the show on sale and the ticket system at the time was so bad. Again, because the, the business was just ran so bad, yeah. bad yeah. like top to bottom, really, um, yeah. that it crashed and they sold. It sold like 290 tickets instead of 200. <laughs> Oof, and caps 200 of joiners, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's 200. And then we sold 90 tickets more. So I, I texted him and I was like, it's been a problem. Um <laughs> you've got to do a matinee <laughs> yeah and uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I was like do you want to do a matinee and he was like oh fuck it we'll just start getting drunk at four o'clock and then do a matinee and then he he put a bucket out at the front on on the front of the stage and was like i'll play any song and for my entire catalog if you put 20 pounds in this bucket for both yeah, shows amazing and then in one night we made like 15 grand so wow, that was like so good you know that was a wedge immediately off of that debt and then yeah. and then there was still so the landlord got that money and it was like oh, actually we, we need to make more obviously because it was 60 whatever and um but he was ended he was happy to take 30 something so we got uh the vaccines to play like a couple of weeks after that which is one of the craziest shows i've ever seen in my entire life anywhere um because some lads at, at that point they just released a second record yeah. and they were due to play the o2 arena two sellout shows at the o2 arena so they were kind of at <laughs> their peak yeah. around that time well, and, when uh, is this rubric is this 2012 still 2013 beginning of 2013. 2013 yeah and um we were like okay and then the agent was just not even replying and he was like fuck off they're not doing it why should they <laughs> yeah. sort of thing yeah. And I was like, well, again, Justin is another guy who has a, a history with, with the joiners. And um, he played in JJ Bistolet, the Eldora Parade, and then all those bands came through the joiners. Yeah. And he got banned from the joiners for smashing the toilet off the wall uh, when he was <laughs> in one of those bands. And we t- so he's always had this relationship with the venue or history of the venue. Nice. And I was like, cool. Um and so he, in the end, DM'd up me on something and he was like, look, we'll do it, blah, blah, blah. And then he did it through uh, the agent. When I came back, like straight up Christmas, he responded with, fine, they'll do it. Not even like a high or a buy. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, 
fine, they'll do it, and that's it. And then I was like, great, cheers. And then he was like, on sale this, blah, that's it, boom, done. And it was like, gone in one second. Yeah, of course. But then um, <laughs> at the show, someone opened the fire doors and all these like lads ran up the alleyway and the door fire door got ripped off. But, like there were 370 people in a 200 cap venue. Not and good. It was not, not good. If the council were listening to this, there was not. <laughs> <laughs> and the security were, you know, I mean, the security were trying to get people out and they just, <laughs> they just couldn't. It was just, the, it was just chaos, absolute chaos. And I was like, how the fuck has this happened? I was like, this is meant to be a, a, a you know benefit yep. show for the venue and the band were like we're not going on because it's too dangerous or whatever and i was like in the end they went on but like one of them was like because there's no barrier in there one of them was just scared for his life i think and, uh, but like justin and one of the other dudes were just drunk and just loved it yep. and anyway they did the show it happened the, the tour manager was screaming in my face the entire time from two inches away um saying this was my fault and i was like i don't <laughs> I don't understand how it's my fault that and you know when you go to a, a gig in like i don't know wembley arena and it's like i don't know like a, like a new metal show like lip biscuit and the, the mosh pit is swaying mm-hmm. mm. it was like that but a miniature version because there were too many people in the room so no people couldn't yeah, yeah, stand yeah. because they were getting lifted by other people yeah but yeah wild. that made that, that made some money <laughs> Um, and then we did some hardcore shows. This isn't, stuff this isn't your rep shift either that we, you were going to be talking yeah, about. Yeah, this isn't like, even like, yeah, we've, 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 this <laughs> yeah. is gold. <laughs> yeah. I knew the joiners were just those walls, man. There's so many, there's too many stories. Yeah. yeah. I think we'll, you'll we'll be coming of... on a few more times than this, Ricky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> every season you can be the, the guest that comes on every season. Yeah. There's something more and more ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Like, I thought of another um, one. <laughs> And now the joiners, obviously, you've had like uh, I don't know, every like Green Day, Coldplay, everyone's come through, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Like during the, it, uh, during the lockdown, I actually had a time to make like an archival timeline of everything. Yeah, it was cool. So oh, share all this, man. I'd love to see that. Yeah, it's like um, it's basically just all the posters and everything, kind of in a lot because there's a joiners book, but it only goes up to I think 2008 or something. Um. They need to release an updated version, obviously, but I, I don't know if the guy would even <laughs> be bothered to to do that, you know. But uh, it's the the shows that I was finding, like the Black Keys and at the driving yeah. and stuff like that, yeah. for like you know six pounds, and you're just like, okay, this is just stupid. Um, yeah. And I didn't even know those shows had happened. I, I was going through archival flyers and you know things I could find, like St Vincent and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and then. Obviously, Green Day and Green Day No Effects and and um, all that sort of thing is we have videos of all of that now, like those performances. Oh, um, man, PJ Harvey. Oh, you need stuff. to do something with that. You need to like you know get it signed off, get it released or something because people would absolutely love to see that shit. Yeah, the the Green Day ones on YouTube. Um, a hundred percent on you. The whole show is on YouTube. Some someone like the bootlegger people, the old punk lot. Someone mm-hmm. uploaded the VHS of it, and I think the No Effects one is on there now as well, which is pretty wild. Um, and they played twice No Effects actually at Joiners. Uh, but yeah, there, there's tons. It's like obviously Coldplay played twice. They did mm-hmm. have support. Then they came back as Parachutes was coming out, and yeah. then Steve Strange signed them. He was at that show and signed them after that show, I believe. Wow. Um, 
And the same Manic Street Preachers were signed straight after they joined the show as well in the backstage. Um, there's, there's ridiculous, the Verve, the Verve's ma- manager was in with another band like six months ago and he was at the Verve show at Joiners because Richard Ascroft claims it was when they felt like they became a real band. Um, there's tons, there's so many. It's crazy to think that, you know, at one point this place could have gone, you know. Oh, we know, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, but that's, I mean, without going into semantics of talking about, uh, governments and stuff and local councils, it's, it's nuts because you go, when you go to like America and you're like, oh, the, the Roxy and there's this and there's like, they try and like look after all these places. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, even in Europe, obviously they get subsidized for their venues, but ours is just like, oh, if that shots, that's fine. We'll just turn it into a hair yeah. salon or whatever. Like <laughs> it's, um, but the, the building is actually grade two listed. The joint is. Yes. So that again, no one knew that until the lockdown. Um, and because in the lockdown, it was obviously it was horrible for all of us as promoters yeah. and venues. But I went so in depth with the council and everything about how Harry's on for another six months. We can't ever afford to reopen, regardless of because the debt was piling up and up and up. And I'm not joking that the, the 67 grand that I mentioned earlier. That was paid back to the pound three weeks before the lockdown. Oh, mate! So <laughs> the, it took it took me ten years, well, just under ten years or whatever, to pay back the the sixty seven grand to the Lord in debt from when I started, and within that three weeks we got shut down again, <laughs> which is wild, isn't it? I was just like, okay, like <laughs> I was like, I was like, you could, I was like, you can't write this it's absolutely mental <laughs> like, um yeah so um i don't say but uh, this is absolutely yeah, 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 man, i'm is shocked like brutal. this is mm. and then i so I, at, at that point i was like right because we got to that point like we sat with the owners and i was like there has to be a way to protect the venue yeah and so i went to the council and i was like well what's and they were like well the building's actually protected under the the heritage system of it being great to but that's only the facade of the building. So yep. you can't change the windows and you can't change what you it looks like. You do whatever like. inside. But you could still rip it all out and it could be something else, not a venue, right? Mm-hmm. And then it turns out, I, st- I started going into the business element of things and finding out how much the venue was worth in terms of the turnover, the rateable value of the business, which is things that I wouldn't normally have time to do because obviously we're crazy doing shows every day and stuff. And And then it turned out the landlord had been ripping us off by about 50% uh in in the lease mm-hmm. per month for uh for 15 years before i was even there which is partly why i built up so much debt as well yeah, because it was based on because the lease is 20 years long they the lease was from 2003 when guitar music was booming mm-hmm. and that was when joiners was, had like arctic monkeys there and sabian and razor light and Franz Ferdinand and you know when every single day was just selling out because that's what people did they went to shows yeah um you were probably those Tom uh that was just before my time was I think it? yeah I am um, so I'm from Sam's as well Ricky so that was oh, um, yeah. so Jordan's was yeah where I first like well it was there and uh I was thinking about this actually the first show I ever tried to go to my mom and dad were like you can go 
but your dad sits stands at the bar at joiners and i was like i'm not gonna go then i'll wait for the next one <laughs> and that was that was the academy years and panic at the disco they were doing like oh, a double wow. header. oh yeah nice. that was like about that was a couple of years after i think because i went to yeah razorhead i remember them headlining the reading i went to because i was obsessed with jimmy world oh. and it was, yeah it was you you guys the guild hall and then We'd get my mum or dad, whoever was around, to drive me and my friends to the Wedgwood Rooms or Pyramids if there was a show on there. And we were sort of that pop punk and emo sort of revival that sort of came around um, sort of just after that. Yeah, that that show, the Panic at Disco one, I found the poster for that as really? well. <laughs> yeah, because it's got like the original logo on it and stuff. Yeah. And I was like, I was trying to find when that was because obviously that was like the, the first record, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I found that record. I absolutely love it. Yeah, uh, and then obviously they became absolutely gargantuan, and I don't know what happened to the Academy Ears, but... Um... No, yeah, I do remember, Um, yeah, it took about six months, I was like, oh, I probably should have just let my dad uh, stand in the bar for that one, so it's taken the... Yeah. <laughs> I had no credibility to lose, so I don't really know what I was thinking. So, it's it's just silly when you, like, sit and you go through the shows that have been yeah. there, I'm just like, okay, how is this even a thing? Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, it's very... It, it's. I think it's important to have like that as well. Obviously, there's venues like us all over the country, but just in terms of seeing how the music industry's changed so much, like, mm. um, you know, when a band gets big now, they don't really let them tour the small venues. They'll yeah. do, you know, the, they'll do like la- label showcases and do like the Great Escape and then yeah, uh, all the industry spots and then London and Manchester or whatever. And mm. they don't, you don't really see anyone get scouted or signed in a small venue like Joiners yeah. anymore. It's just a totally different system. Kind of on that note, like, what do you, like, how do you see Samson's scene sort of now? Like, how is it, how is it for you? Like, you know, today, like, right now, I actually think I saw something from you today on the Music Venues Alliance about, you know, sort of tours. Was that you? I think you put something up. Yeah, yeah, I put a a thing up about how, because I'm I'm kind of, with numbers, I've become so good with, like, numbers in my head, with my diary and, and settlements and stuff like that. And, and tours. So I was looking at the difference of we had 27 less US and Canadian tours because that makes up a lot of our diary and our booking. Mm-hmm. Um, then we did last, last year. So 23, then we did in 2022. Um, which right. means the American bands just stopped coming, which yeah. is obviously part of. I speak to a lot of the managers and stuff in America. They don't want to pay the carne to go into Europe that they find that as an extra cost. Obviously buses are now uh, like 2,400 pounds a week uh, for a nightliner. And then a, 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 a basic van is 170 pounds a week, yeah. a day, sorry, with, without a driver. No, so, you know, when, when there's a lot of, yeah. So when there's a lot of bands touring at a 200 cap level, realistically, if they're the port or if they're headline, they're really only making, you know, four to six, seven hundred pounds a show. So once they factor in the cost of a TM and the front of the house and getting here, the van and stuff, then they're making like 50 quid each to fly yeah. from the other side of the world plus merch. Yeah. But like, and, and that's a big part as to why they're not coming back. But mm-hmm. the problem is with that is that there's nothing to replace those gaps in my diary. Yeah. So I don't it- want the joiners to become like a tribute venue or anything. Cause it's sure. never done that. Right. But you, you know, um, 
it's you have to fill the diary somehow. You have to keep going, right? Yeah. You can't always yeah, exactly. just ask yeah. for, for bailouts or anything like and that. How, so how you is to... like you know? I haven't lived there for a, a long time, Ricky. But like how Samson is a scene for me. I guess growing up there, um, you know, like a lot of those shows, like you know, things like Panic at Disco back then, and there was a lot of like, metal shows, and and the shows at the Guildhall would be like Taking Back Sunday, brand new. All those bands were sort mm-hmm. of touring through, like Plus Forty Four. They would they would be really busy, but when people was trying to get things going maybe off their own back and this was like pre you being at the joiners as well i remember like some friends doing um shows under the banner yes yes no no yes at hampton so it, like it always samson felt like an uphill struggle do you know what i mean like it felt like it was hard to get anything going is that do you think that's still the case or is there people doing like that sort of diy thing down there now um I, th- I think there's elements to that. I mean, Southampton scene is punches way above its weight in terms right. of like, if you look at Bournemouth and Portsmouth, yeah. uh, who are the directly two competing cities, which are 25 minutes either side of us. Yeah. Like, Wedge Room used to be this like crazy, the venue's still great. Don't get me wrong. I love the people that run it, but the tours that used to go through there in the early 2000s yeah. and stuff now just don't go through there anymore no. because, because they come to Southampton. Um, and I think that's got a lot to do with the joiners, but obviously, because we don't just do shows at joiners, we use five different venues. Sure. Um, which is, which is, you know, to go into how the joiners has survived this long is because I changed the business model of the way it worked. Because yeah. if they only did joiner shows, then that isn't enough money to sustain the yeah. venue. You had to move beyond um, your walls. Yes, they need. Samson's so, got some great, great venues, you know, like you know, eighteen sixty-five engine room. Mm-hmm. You got Guildhall, yeah. obviously. Like Heartbreakers now. I finally got to go there. Yeah. I went back yeah. for the football and uh, ended up back in there for a little indie yeah. boogie. I'm probably missing yeah. you as well, but um, <laughs> it's, it's a it's a great place. Like it's, there's so much stuff going on there, but it always feels that like it's kind of always on the back foot in terms of it doesn't. I find that I put a show on there and it can either fly out or it's like real hard. It's real hard work. That's, that's um, exactly what it is. It's, it's a flip-flop situation where it's like, oh, you assume one show would just sell out and then yeah. it doesn't. And then you assume something's not going to sell out and then it does. And it's such a weird market in terms of... Because there's two universities here. There's a lot of students, but the main university is very academic, so they don't really leave the campus. Right. Um, they're training to be marine biologists and scientists and doctors and stuff. So they're not, they, they don't really go for the nightlife. They're there to sure. study. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, but in terms of venues, I mean, we lost two spaces uh, a couple of weeks ago. Suburbia shut down and then the art house shut down and then the firehouse shut down as well, which was like a, a metal pub. Oh, yeah. Around the back. Yeah. Menu. Yeah. By Hogland's yeah. pub, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's gone as well. Uh, so there's like three, but, but to be honest, there's already like, so you've got Heartbreakers, Joiners, Papillion is a newer venue, which is in a church, converted church. So that's going to. called Ricky. Sorry. I didn't quite catch that. It's called Papillion. Papillion. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So that's, that's free to, that's like free, free to 400 cap that, but, um, I was there last night. I saw CBC there last night. Uh, but our, one of our main engineers at Joiners did the PA install there. So what, once you work with people that you trust, you know, it's going to be good, it's right? Be right. Yeah. Tech, like, you know, yeah. um, once you, they have a good system in and it's EQ'd and the rest of it is kind of on us as promoters to get everything else right. Uh, 
But then you have obviously 1865 and then Engine Rooms, who we have a great relationship with now um, because they understand what we're trying to do to mm-hmm. grow the artists out, sure. out of the joiners into bigger rooms and stuff. Yeah. Um, and without Engine Rooms and 1865, th- those two venues are the ones that have helped us sustain joiners mm-hmm. because we need those bigger cap rooms. Anything we make in those bigger shows gets reinvested back in the joiners. So it's right. like a big big circle of life of venues sure. basically it's a great you know, model so that, and uh yeah just need people to turn out more right yeah yeah exactly you just and we just need more obviously there, there's so many things you could go into with these tours where it's like the exclusivity of festivals and you know yeah. and and there being less rooted shows on the tours than ever it used to be 10 or 12 shows and now it seems to be six mm. which, which means to me it seems like a it's kind of crazy because you know as you said like tour buses are x amount right you know the cost of just being on the road is astronomical yet everyone needs an off day and no one can not have the off day but playing a playing a region on a you know on one of those off days would cover a lot of the cost support the local businesses you know support local industry i don't really understand why bands aren't really hitting it hard especially after covid i thought everyone would just be touring every region there possibly was yeah, I think it's got a lot to do with the in America is so big that they can tour America four times in a year and not touch the same towns or cities. Yeah, uh, and then obviously here it's like even like Spanish love songs. We the, one of my best friends is tour managing them, uh, but they did we do the pre productions for loads of bands that join us during the day. We're always like at the beginning of the tour, so I watch mm-hmm. how they're gonna where they're gonna route and what they're doing, and the managers are always there and stuff. So I have those conversations and it's always like they'll go into Europe now and they'll do one show in France, three or four shows in Germany. And then obviously if the Americans, they go into um, Hellgate, pick up the back line and the bus, do either leave straight away and go to Europe and then loop back and drop. But even in Germany, they're doing four or five shows when they used to do two to three weeks, which is mm-hmm. because that Germany has become less of a, main market for touring than it was pre-covid so there's all these different economic factors that are damaging outside of what we do anyway which is it just makes it more difficult to be a promoter but um yeah but it is frustrating when you've worked with a band for years and they come over here once a year and they go oh we'll just do six shows and it's like why like (laughs) like like the, the, the places are strong enough for you to do double that yeah. Um, and I know it's obviously to do a lot of times tours are being sold to national promoters and blah, blah, et cetera, money, like exclusivity. And I just think it you just need to let the bands tour because, you know, a lot of these newer bands are not ready for bigger stages because they haven't toured yet. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that, you know, agents and managers have a very, very important role to play in the survival of small venues like like joiners and you know it's it's great when i see the brudenell on everything and i see you know the a venue in manchester and i see bristol london glasgow manchester and then everywhere else doesn't count apparently it's yeah it's it's odd but it never used to be like that so i just don't understand why all of a sudden that we all have to book uh you know, Lonkin Park tribute band, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like just so I could open the venue, and yeah. it's like 
Should we we I, could I all co-pro Antarctic monkeys in your new church venue? That could be good. Come on. Yeah. Job satisfaction one hundred and one. There, lovely. <laughs> yeah. Also, those bands aren't even cheap. Like they're not cheap. <laughs> the Lord of the Rings. Uh, Bob's still the Hobbit. Oh, the Hobbit. Yeah, that's still there. What a road that is. Yeah. Mm. The Valley on Slow Road. Yeah, man. Start the in Hobbit. The valley, you ever yeah. done that? You ever done the Fellowship, Ricky? Drunk all the cocktails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, got the t-shirt. I don't have a teacher. My friend oh, Dave it, is the, yeah. the manager of The Hobbit. Yeah. I love that uh, it's a thing. It like, makes sense to everybody else. But for me, I was like, why is there a Lord of the Rings pub? <laughs> <laughs> well, that road as well, because you've got, you got The Hobbit. Then there's yeah. Jester's, which is like the student nightclub. Is that still there? And that was like... Yeah, still there. They sell that... like one pound beers and then they have like two centimetres of piss on the floor at all yeah. time. I was like, yeah. I know more than two people, I think... I think I might be one of them that are thrown up by or on the bar and just don't get thrown out. People, they just sort of, you know, they just won't serve you for yeah. a they, they just have the yeah. cans of tisky. They obviously bolt by in and they don't get them out of the crate. They just leave them there. They just hand them to you. Yeah. You go. And there's, um, yeah, there's Manzils, the curry house that's open till like 3 or 4 a.m. Yeah, there's and two Manzils. Yeah. And I remember like yeah. you could not, after a certain time, you couldn't just walk in. So you'd knock. It was like Burkheim. Then they'd let you yeah. If you weren't too pissed, they'd let you in and you could come in and get a curry at like one in the morning. Yeah, I, I, I've had curries in there with bands at like three in the morning. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. good as well. It's not even, you know, yeah. it's legit. It's uh, It kind of became known by what a few bands at the time. Like, they could be like, oh, is Manzil still there? Because <laughs> some of the, obviously some of the bigger shows, you don't load out until like one in the morning and then... Yeah. Trying to get food is a pain in the ass. So yeah. I'd always be like, oh, you can go to Manzil's if you want. You'll be all right. At least you won't be hungry anymore. That's true. Yeah. Um, um, outside of Samson, Ricky, have you got a favourite venue? Um, prior to me being in Southampton, I spent all my time in London because I grew up in Kent. So all the shows in London. Mm-hmm. So the Astoria and the Mean Fiddler were two venues that were always in my... Uh, adolescent heart. Uh, I saw so many amazing shows there. Oh, yeah, I used I miss, to work I miss for, the story, yeah. yeah, I used to work for street teams. So I worked for the Killers street team and and like Blink's street team in like 2001. Um, I used to give out, I gave out Hot Fuss, the first Killers record. I had yeah. hundreds of those just on a blank promo CD. Wow. I mean, God knows how much they'd be worth now, but they were from the actual band. But it was one track and you couldn't skip it, and it was the whole album on one track. Amazing. Um, but, yeah, I love this. And the 100 Club is a venue that I still love very much now um, because it's retained its, you know, its ethos and stuff. And Jeff, who runs it, it's great. Um, yeah. I do love that venue. I love the uh, Exchange. Uh, sorry, the Fleece in Bristol. Exchange is newer, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, Fleece, is, I've had some good times in there. Um, I really loved the haunt before that went, obviously. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, got a few to shout out on this one. Yeah. All right. That's that's good. All, yeah. I mean, all of those venues, like the stories, you know, will always be missed, right? It was it was an amazing spot. Everyone's seen and had that check, show, which is one, just like, two, oh, yeah, that's a good story. Check, that was so good. Check. Was check. Yeah. One, two, one, two, check, check. So I think it's about time, Ricky, that we get into your uh, your rep shift. And uh, do you want to do you want to start us off at the beginning? 
Where are we? Are we in uh, Southampton? We're in Southampton. Uh, we are. And actually, you know, this is weirdly, this show is one that made me uh, mature as a promoter very, very quickly. Uh, for years, uh, I, you know what it's like when you're obviously starting in the industry as pro- properly. It's um, one of those situations where you're like, I want to do bigger shows. I want to do bigger shows. And the agents just like, go away. Who are you? You know, yeah. so they're like, they don't care because you've only done a hundred or 200 cap shows. Um, and then eventually you crack them and they give you a show. They give you something that's bigger, like a four, 500 cap show. So this was one of my first, uh, which makes it worse, the story. <laughs> um, uh, because I, I, I live off the thing where I believe that this, because of what happened at this show, it pushed me, my career back as a promoter, maybe one to two years. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, so after trying to get to the point where I was for five years, I then went back to year three uh, after this happened. <laughs> uh, so, so, so basically, it's a show, uh, it's at the loft, but mm-hmm. at the time it was called Rocks, which was obviously spelled R-O-X-X, because nice. why not? Why wouldn't you? Um, and it was up, it's on the first floor, there's a bar underneath it, uh, the PA was fine, no barrier, um, so I'd never done a bigger show in there than 200 people, but then the guy that owned it was like, oh, it's fine, you can put 500 people in here, and I was like, right, and I was like, can you? And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So obviously I just believed him that you could. <laughs> I mean, um, if the venue manager says, you know, it's a 500 cap. If the venue manager mm. says the cap, then that's the cap. And I think that you're all right. You assume that's the cap. You're not going to suddenly just go down and do a recce and make your own decisions. I think that you're <laughs> no. out of money. <laughs> no, exactly. I wasn't going to go down with a tape measure and be like, well, that's X square <laughs> amount of space per person. But, you know, it's... Um, so they had a fake wall. They take the fake wall out, and I'm like, okay, maybe you can fit 500 people in here. So in my head, it was at least 400. So I was like, right. So I think we sold it, completely sold out. So it was the story so far, Sea Haven and Save nice. Our Breath, who I think were from Birmingham, maybe. Um, so this was like at, after they broke, after the first record, so going into the second record, big tour. I think the London show was like, 2000 people or whatever mm-hmm. and um so we do the show we set up everything there's no barrier but also the stage isn't a real stage it's like um it's like one of those festival stages that's like made out of scaffolding okay right so yeah, got that. <laughs> setting the scene uh, it's all so going really well like the bars it's got like the bars around it so and then the, the back line is very expensive it's it's all orange cabinets customized and then the drum kit is a CC custom drum kit, which they've flown all of that in from America to tour with. So wow. we do the show, do the show. Um, everything's fine at first. I'm like, cool. Sound check all good. Sound check's fine. It's passable. You know, everything's yeah. good. Everyone's happy. Like, you know, we're all chilling. Everyone's eating. Like, there's a lot of friends there because it's kind of like, holy shit, you managed to get this band to come and play a big show and it's not like a small joiner show sort of thing because it was one of my first proper proper bigger tours yeah and i was like let, like like let let's all go and have a great time blah 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 obviously very nervous about doing a bigger room anyway uh and i was like i was like sure everything will be fine so see the first two bands play 
no problem. And then it just starts to get like really rammed in there. I'm like, cool. And then security guy comes down. It's on a Saturday night. So they have security in the bar downstairs. And he's like, oh, the floor is like moving a lot. And obviously the ceiling in the bar downstairs. He's like, he's like, that's moving a lot. And I was like, oh, don't worry. That's probably just like the people upstairs, right? They're just, they, they weren't moshing yet. They were just moving around. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, we'll forget about it. Around. It's chill. Don't, it's fine. What was that time? And then, this, that, just, they're just moving around. They're not even moshing yet. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, stories so far go on. Sea Haven play. Everyone's great. They, they were more chilled. So it was fine. And then, yeah, I think Stan was the tour manager. And then, stories so far go on. First song, it's like someone lets off a firework. And all of a sudden, it's like, 500 people just fucking going completely nuts. No barrier. Everyone's stage diving. Like, you know, it's like a hardcore pop punk show, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, sick. This is popping off. It's going great. And then after one song, I'm at like the side stage of the scaffold stage. This massive security guard comes piling up the stairs, like these metal stairs also that move when you load in, which is really safe. Um, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and, uh, I was like, what, what the fuck? And he like grabs me by the collar and he's like, you have to stop the show now. And I was like, why, why would I stop the show? And he's like, cause the fucking floor's collapsing. And I was like, I don't know what you're on about. And he was like, come downstairs now. And I go downstairs and it's like, this is actually going into the second song. And the, the ceiling had like bowed down as if, uh, imagine like a asteroid came through the ceiling <laughs> and it hit the middle of the mosh pit. And then, but it hadn't, but there <laughs> And then the ceiling had dropped down by like two meters Fuck. in the bar Fuck. downstairs. And it was directly underneath where the mosh pit was. Are people just down there drinking? They're having a casual? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they are. <laughs> it's a Saturday night. It's a Saturday Yeah. There's a Saturday night and everyone's like, did someone put something in my drink? You know, they're obviously like... Uh, the ceiling's bowing in and you're like, what the fuck? So I run back upstairs and I go to the tour manager. I was like, you need to come downstairs now. So we run back downstairs. I'm like, and then they're on their second or third song. And then I go back up and I'm like, I look at Parker, the singer, and then Will, the guitarist. I'm like, the floor's fucked. You need to stop. And they, because we always dick about as mates, so like they're laughing and they're like, yeah, whatever, mate. Cool. And they're like, anyway, this song's called this. And then they just start playing with their song. And I'm like, I'm like, no, no, no. I was like, you need to stop. I was like, show stop. You need to stop because like the floor. And they were like, what are you on about? And like, obviously you can't see because there's 500 people in there. And then you can kind of start seeing that the middle of the crowd was getting like a foot lower than everyone else. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck is going on here? And I was like, this is crazy. Um, what's the, so uh, got... what's the drop <laughs> from the upstairs to the below? Oh, like, it, <laughs> It would be like lemmings, you know, when the floor, <laughs> like, when something cracks and all the lemons fall through the crack. Um, it's like 10 foot. So, yeah. Oh. Uh, it wouldn't, it would, it wouldn't end well, basically, if the okay. floor actually snapped in half. Either, either way, foot drop and it's still people, are, they're not going to be happy, are they? No. Well, it, well, by the time it would be about, I reckon they'd drop like, Maybe six, seven foot, but the problem is, would be everyone would just collapse on each other. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just that and but, so what did um, you do? Like, what did you do? Like, did you have to go on stage? Like, yeah, I went on stage and I just like grabbed the mic and I was like, "No!" I said to you, "Tobacco, you got to stop." And he was like, "Seriously, what the fuck?" And I pulled him to the side and I was like, 
dude, the fucking floor is fucked. The ceiling's fucked. And the security guard was just yelling at him in Northern going, fucking hell, mate, you need to stop now. It's fucking hell. It's over. You've got to stop the show. And I was like, cool. And then everyone, they were, they, he made an announcement. He was like, guys, unfortunately, the floor's fucked. And I don't know if we can continue the show. And then the 500 people in the crowd just start chanting, fuck the floor. Fuck the floor. <laughs> fuck. And I was like, no, no, no. I was like, this is not a joke. I was like, not fuck the floor. I was like, the floor is fucked. And then so by this point, by this point, it's just getting worse and worse. And I'm like, okay, we need to stop the fucking show. But then you can start seeing the, the, damage. the, the damage, that the floor is sunken like really bad. And then the ceiling downstairs got worse. So basically what had happened in terms of like to add to it, is that, that it was still um, poles that were holding the actual building together, but they had bent in half, and so it should have been titanium, but they the steel poles could only hold the weight of 300 people and not oh. 500, uh, okay. which, which was so basically that amount of people just was folding the venue in half. So then I find uh, the guy that owns the venue, and I'm like, what the fuck's going on, man? I was like, what's wrong with your venue? And he was like, I don't know what you mean. I was like, well, you said we could put 500 people in here. It'd be totally fine. And he's like, yeah, we have this at club nights. And I was like, yeah, but they're just dancing. I was like, this is like a, like a, a they're all moshing. You've got 500 people jumping up and down. I was like, it's a totally different thing. And he's like, well, yeah, usually it's fine. And I was like, does it look fine? And then the scaffolding stage starts sliding towards the crowd because, <laughs> because the dent in the floor of the mosh pit is folding the rest of the floor, obviously swallowing it. It's like oh, basically the stranger thing. Ah. <laughs> it's like the floor is swallowing up the, the venue and it's sinking more and more and more. And I'm like, fuck this. So I hit the fire alarm thinking like we need to get all these people out of here because if the Bad floor way. yeah if the floor snaps in half i would have been, been gone like, i don't know what i would have done i honestly yeah <laughs> you're just off i'm off to the curry house yeah <laughs> straight out manzils yeah the fucking door of manzils pint, pint of like, legolas <laughs> chicken palsy thank you yeah i have i have the entire <laughs> thing in one go um, yeah yeah so, so i hit the fire alarm and the fire alarm didn't go off and I, would right. look, I literally looked at the guy and I looked at the guy and he went, oh, I went, what the fuck's going on? He went, oh, we must have disconnected the fire alarms. I was like, do you not have a fire service thing? And he was like, no. And I was like, what the fuck? What sort of venue are you running here? And then, so that didn't go off because the fire alarm wasn't connected. So I couldn't get people out quick enough. And then the structural alarm of the building started going off, which is a total different thing. What I didn't even know existed, mm -hmm. which means that basically the building's folding in on itself. So it makes a different noise. It's like similar to the, the ambulances in New York that go like, <laughs> like that, like that weird, like <laughs> really high pitch noise. And then that started going off. So we started getting people outside. Um, and then there's 500 people in the street. No one knows what the fuck's going on. Everyone's kicking off because they only saw three and a half songs. Obviously, so everyone's really angry. And I'm like, what the fuck do we do? And then the tour manager's like yelling at me going, what the fuck's happening? Like, we have to. And then the band are like, dude, we have to do a show. These people have paid for the show. And I was like, okay. Like, I, I was like, step one, get the fucking back line off the scaffold stage because the back line's falling into the hole. So... Like five or Wait, six. So you're, of us you're like, going. You're going. You're trying to. You're trying to salvage this. You're. You're going for another show somewhere yes. else. And, yes. other, and the, the audience are all still in the that room with the sinking floor. 
uh, they're getting they're get going out they're into the street. Out. And this is like probably yeah. what half nine. Uh, yeah, about half nine. Yeah, half nine at night. Uh, set in the same bed, Bedford Place, there, isn't it? Is it loft? Yeah, yeah. So she's yeah, bang in the middle nice. of where Orange Rooms is, <laughs> yeah. and like all the nightclubs are there and stuff. So it's Fucking it's rammed full of like nine to five weekend <laughs> warriors. Anyway, so it's um, <laughs> yeah, it's just complete bloody chaos. And I'm like, cool. What the fuck do we do? So we get all the crew and all of our guys like lift all of the the cabs off the stage into the corridor, get the drum kit off really quickly. And I'm like, fuck, what can we do? It's like, I phone the manager at Joiners and there's a show there. Uh, and I was like, how many people are at the Joiners right now? And he's like, I don't know, like 70. Why? And I was like, I was like, we're bringing a band there and we're going to do a show right now. And he's like, what do you mean? And I was like, we're going to bring, we're going to bring 250 people to Joiners and we're going to let the first 250 people in, right? Or 200 yeah. people, whatever. And then the uh, the first people to get there are, are going to be at the show. So we took, and he's he's like, okay, cool, fine, whatever. The show is finished. We're just about to finish here, luckily. So, and then I get there, and the tour manager's like, you're not doing that, and he's refusing to load out at that show there. And I was like, <laughs> what the fuck? And I was like, what the fuck? And I was like, Why? what do you mean? Why? What's his problem? Because there wasn't enough security, apparently, for a sold-out show. And he was like, look, there's not enough security here. He's like, we can't load off immediately. My band's upstairs. They need to shower, blah, blah, blah. Ugh. We're not moving the gear, all that sort of shit. Everything you could... And he was like, look, you can't just, like, t- make our guys move, like, within 15 minutes oh, or this. Man, man. And I was like, fuck this. And I was like, what the hell? So the band had tweeted, everyone goes to join us. So at this point, you've got... 500 people moving from Bedford Place to Joiners. And then there's 500 people outside Joiners who are just going nuts because they don't know what's going on. Then the police show up because obviously they're all like blocking the street. And and I was just like, what the fuck fuck are we going to do? What's going on? And then the band's just going to me, we have to do a show, man. We have to do a show. And I was like, right, okay. So then we had all of the back line because they had a tour bus, we couldn't move the tour bus because of the, the taco, because obviously the bus driver won't move. So we had to take everything from the trailer and put it in two white sprinters, which the supports had. And then we all stacked it in the, into this, into the two white uh, long base fucking vans. And then we all laid on top of the, <laughs> the, the, the thing on top of the gear. We all laid on top of the gear because there was nowhere for anyone to sit. So there's like three bands with two backlines and two vans that don't even fit in there, laying on top of it, driving around in Southampton, trying to find somewhere to do a show. I'm like, what the fuck's going on? And then eventually Unit, <laughs> so I get hold of the manager of Unit Club, um, where we were doing shows before. Yeah. And obviously that's gone now as well. And uh, yeah. he's like, oh, what, what do you want? And I'm like, we're bringing loads of people to the venue now. And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, what time does the nightclub start upstairs? And he's like, midnight. And I was like, perfect. And he's like, what the fuck's going on? I was like, don't worry about it. I was like, I'll explain when we get there. And then so we get there. And then we open the vans. And I was like, we're going to do a show upstairs right now. And he's like, what the fuck do you mean? He's like, we don't have a sound engineer. We don't have security. We don't have anything. And I was like, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. It'll just be like a DIY show. So basically, we so we load all of this super expensive backline of the story so far as up this fire exit with all of my mates and, and the band and stuff. And then we put it next to the DJ booth. And then set everything up, and then they tweeted everyone go to unit instead. So then everyone runs 
in the street from yeah, joining yeah. us up the unit. And yeah. then again, there's four, four or 500 kids in the street and the security are going nuts. And they're like, what the fuck's going on? I was like, oh, like, I was like, look, we're going to do a show. And he was like, look, you can't let anyone in here who's not over under 18 because it's a nightclub and not a yeah. venue. And so then we had to go out of a speakerphone thing and be like, yeah, no yeah. one who's under 18 yeah. can get in. Then all those people started getting pissed off and started lobbing things at the fucking security. Um, and then in, in the end, in the end, so basically we set the back line up. We we took down all this decor and stuff because it was going to get destroyed. And then I took a microphone, an SM58, I ran it through a DJ mixer. I sound checked it really quickly with everyone for levels gave the band the the microphone i was like parker just do half an hour or whatever then we let in 200 people like really quickly and then they were just pissing around and then they played a floor show with like no barrier nothing literally the drums were on a riser and then the, the the cabs were on a little riser and then everyone was like on the stage which wasn't a stage and there was like two two 250 people in there and it was just absolute chaos and they played half an they played for half an hour and people just went mental. It was like the band were here and the people were on there with them. Listening. Mental. Yeah. And they and they <laughs> and they did the show. <laughs> they did half an hour of the show and then everyone was kicking off outside still that they couldn't get in, obviously, because they yeah, weren't old enough. Um and then the show happened. But the problem was at this point that I didn't know the problem I didn't at this know. point. <laughs> yeah, which bit what are you gonna say? Is someone, someone had obviously this at this point social media wasn't like that immediate. Someone had leaked the story to Enemy, and Enemy was obviously still like a massive thing. And then Alternative Press in America, yeah. and then people from Alternative Press in America were trying to phone my phone, and I was like, "What the fuck's going on?" And then someone put my phone number on Tumblr, saying that I was the guy. <laughs> <laughs> That saying that I was the guy that was responsible for almost killing 500 people at this fucking <laughs> And so I had all these angry parents, like, phoning me on my phone. And they're like, I'm going to kill you if I find out who you are, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, what the... Yeah, and I was oh, like, what me. the fuck? And I had to, like, obviously just turn my phone off. And I, was, I spoke to the agent and explained everything that went on. And I was like, look, I'll call you in the morning because it's fucking chaos here right now. <laughs> um, so, so we did we did the show, and then I was obviously getting death threats from angry parents the next day as well. And I was like, "Cool, this is great, thanks everyone." And yeah, they did the show at, at the floor show, and then that was it. And then it became like a massive. And then Enemy oh, yeah. owned the band the next day and did a piece on it. I remember. And Alternative Press did a piece on it. Um, and yeah, and then Tolly from Banquet. With, like got a hold of me and was like, look, mate, we're doing the show today in Kingston. We're going to let everyone in that nice. didn't get into your like other makeup emergency show for free if they just come through. And I was like, thanks, mate. I appreciate that. I'm losing my fucking mind. Nice. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. And that, that, that was, and that was it. And then that was like the story of the thing, but the fact that we managed to pull off, um, another show within like 45 minutes to an hour. Of the of the other floor yes, collapsing. Unreal. There's no Crazy. way. I, there's no way I would have done it. I would have done yeah. it. <laughs> become like a, a story between that entire scene for years. Like yeah, it was actually the tenth anniversary of it in October, just gone. Did you do it again? 
Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, got, yeah. The, you got the, the lock the back. They, had it, yeah, they, yeah, they got the fire system yet? Lovely. <laughs> no, I went in there with a chainsaw and I was just like, let's just finish the job and just cut a hole through the floor. Um, they've actually, if you go into the bar underneath now, it's called the social. They have. Now you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Titanium poles under uh, in the whole building because the building like cracked in half so the the council condemned that building after that uh for x amount of months until they put these titanium poles in to hold up the upstairs Mm. um and then i don't think they did a show there again for like another year and a half quit a while Um, (laughs) yeah man Um, some journey ricky man that's uh that's going to be hard to top, I think. You know what I like? I think that, but then everyone's is so different and they're just all fucking wild, aren't they? Like, yeah. You know, but that is that, yeah, that would, I mean, that would have, it's the same as Cats last week. You said you really grew as a promoter. I would have been out of the game quicker. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? I would have been, I would have been on the number one bus <laughs> back to Charles Ford to my mum's house, get foot long subway, turn them <laughs> up my phone off, it's over. Yeah. I, I'm I mean, working at the insurance call centre. I'm done. It's not worth it. Yeah, the the following <laughs> week after we were ter- terrible. It was like you know every single agent and blah. They were like, "How the fuck did you let that happen?" Blah blah. And I was like, and I had to explain the situation obviously and be like, "Look, I didn't know about the floor not being able to hold that weight because mm. otherwise I wouldn't have done that. Obviously, I didn't do it on purpose." Um, and then once I explained it, but in because of the reputation of what happened at that show, I didn't get offered any big shows. Over a year after that, oh man, that's uh, so, yeah. So it really damaged my promoting career for a while, and I had to rebuild the rep, my rep with, with everyone. Um, yeah. which but is a mess. You've done that now. You're uh... yeah, yeah. I did that in the end, but yeah, obviously I paid the band like over the odds and stuff. But um, just it was just a nightmare. Oh, it was just an right. absolute nightmare of a oh. thing, and I was like absolute cow there's so many cowboys isn't there like, yeah. unit are lovely though aren't they you turn up you turn up at 10 o'clock at night for a quick show what? before the club unit are loving yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that that that, that was uh i mean that place unit we did a lot of shows there back in the day as well you know that, that yeah. they were just the one uh, you at the one when it's in its last place where it's opposite the edge that one yeah that one yeah, yeah. Yeah, had the upstairs and they had like the little library in there because we did, you know, Jesse J played in there and uh, there's some disclosure and stuff played right. in there as well when they were smaller. Yeah. Um, then we did like floor shows of the Menzingers and, you know, Jeff Rosenstock and Front Bottoms and all that sort of stuff in there. It was, it was very, it was good at the time. It was yeah. like really, you know, but then obviously again, it ended up being the same guy that run that, that, was running joiners at the time, so he ended up running right. it to the ground eventually. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, here we there, Ricky. Man, fair play to you, man. Wow. That's, that's, that's an incredible story. Uh, yeah, Tom, I've got a few more questions for you. That's cool. Um, yeah, yeah, go for it. I think I probably again might I might guess this one, but maybe you've got something different. But you're on a sh- you're on a show. What's your where are you going to for dinner? What's your rep shift meal? Mm. As he swigs from the green bottle. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't talk that much during the day. It's all typing, isn't it? So. It's almost like you're trying to learn to write again. Um, uh, my go-to meal at the minute is a place called Quackers, spelled K-W-A-C. Like, like, but it's hey, a, I'm sorry, Ricky. How are you spelling it? K-W-A-C-K-E-R-S. Quackers. 
Um, Quick serve. So freaking good. Yeah, yeah. of course it is. <laughs> Serious about street food. Oh, are you? Is this in West Key? Uh, it's in West Key too, which is an additional oh, outside restaurant space. Yeah. This is your go-to. What are we talking then? So what's the deal? Uh, so I get the uh, the mock duck, but the, the mock duck um, thing, the health bowl. So it has uh, like pineapple, watermelon, edamame beans. Nice. Um, Lovely. Get that nutrition yeah, in. Perfect. Exactly. So the, then I try to get my health in. So it comes in a nice recycled box. So if I'm rep, <laughs> repping, I'm doing that. But generally, what I'll do is I'll have, again, you have like four bikes of it, and then yeah. you just put the cover back on, and then in yeah, between yeah. changeovers, you'll have another four bites, and then, you know, when you've loaded out, then eventually you'll finish it. But Where um, are the towels? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's either that, or it's like, can we get more of this? What's happening with this? This person's not on the guest list. You know what it's like? It's, yeah. it's like, oh, our guitar's broken. And I was like, how did you do that? Oh, we stood on it. Brilliant. Like, you know, oh, the one the other day was that they had the wrong power and um, banned from oh. Canada. They, they had the wrong power transformer, so they okay. couldn't even sound check or anything. And then it turns out they just left the cables in the van. But by that point, I had phoned four different venue techs to try and get an option to um to get a step transformer. I was just like, oh, my God, please. <laughs> it, it should it should be this hard. <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah. Especially if they stuff, like it's yeah. You've come um, yeah. <laughs> I was just gonna say. I mean, I think you've probably got plenty. But um, the next question for you, Ricky, was if you've got any advice for new reps or people looking to get into live music, and uh, you're not allowed to say, "Yeah, don't do it." Uh, even after that story, I'm not allowed to say, "Don't do it." Right? No, well, yeah, well, <laughs> no, I'm joking. We'd have nobody uh, left. Yeah, I'd I'd say the best advice is to. Um, uh stay calm uh even with <laughs> <poor> managers like, <laughs> I'd, I'd say stay calm be professional uh but don't be over the top professional just keep it loose um make sure you introduce yourself to every single person on the touring party um and, and obviously just communication is yeah. the main thing really uh visibility uh, don't go and hide in a different room somewhere, uh, <laughs> yeah. which I, you know, which I constantly get from friends that are bigger tour managers than they do national shows. And mm-hmm. a lot of the show reps for national companies have never even put on a show before. They're yeah. just people that have been employed to be a show rep. Yeah. So their experience is not very good, but mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah, just, I, I'd say just be, be prepared very be prepared with everything that you have to do in terms of like if you're doing print offs and you know if, if people need set lists just be helpful mm-hmm. um and, and be aware as well like be aware of what's going on be aware of like you know if if, if the techs are happy if mm-hmm. you have a happy text you've got a happy stage crew you, then you're good the band's going to be happy and everyone does a better job so if the mood in the room from yeah. loading and sound check is is better yeah and you know so we know how it goes with a lot of shows is that a pre-sale is terrible and the promoter's all pissed off and then it makes for a bad show, right? Because mm-hmm. because someone's losing money. Um really? but you take, have to take, treat take every the, show. Uh, to the house tech some uh, some biscuits just to uh you know exactly <laughs> give them a little perk. <laughs> give, give them some chips. 
and it'll be fine. Like, that's it. Do you want a chip? Oh, cheers, mate. Or just buy, like, buy those, that giant pack of donuts from Asda on the way to your show, bro, and just give those to everyone. And then, you know, everyone will be fine with you. But, um, I think that that's the best yeah. bit of advice. I can't, I can't disagree with that. I think that's the one. Yeah, eating is, because obviously people skip meals all the time. For sure. As well, because it's don't, like... Don't drink like, water. You know, and... Yeah, don't drink water, don't, because you're so, your shoulders are up, you know, it's the whole, mm-hmm. like, what, who's going to need something next? The match person needs this, or have you got this? Do you have a float? Have you got this? And it's like, be prepared to be asked 55 questions in two hours. Uh, <laughs> what's the Wi-Fi? It's on the fucking wall there, there, and there, mate. I can read. I've got uh, my final question for you, Ricky, is... Um... What's the what's the thing that you would change most about the industry? One, uh, one thing. One thing. Mm-hmm. I I mean I'd just say that there was that there was actual uh, support from the government in the music industry, and that would be it. If we had, I'd love a system because I have friends who do shows in Berlin and stuff that was based exactly on the European model. Which is that's what I would say. Which is that there was subsidised. Uh, my, there was money that was subsidized for venues so that venues wouldn't have to worry about closing every two weeks. Isn't, is, and um, there's, you know, just for the, the general public, there's nothing in place at all at the minute. Is there, is there things right. that you're doing? Is there, there's just zero support and you're just kind there's of... Zero, there's, zero support. Um, there's zero support and it also makes zero sense that, you know, theatre doesn't pay uh, VAT on ticketing when their ticket brackets are far higher than ours as, mm-hmm. you know, um, t- promoters and bands, etc. Venue tickets are, you know, one-fifth of the price of theatre tickets and we pay VAT on absolutely everything. So, But why are, th- are theatre exempt from that? And we're not. That 20% would be the difference that would help save, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of venues. So... That, that comes into the um, subsidy side of it as well. It's um, It just doesn't make any sense that we're seen as this separate thing um, That's great without effect. going in to right and left. Yeah, wing a, lot shit, people, really. a lot of people won't know that, you know, um, and I think that, that that knowledge and, you know, putting it out to the world, hopefully, you know, I don't know how far this is going to go or like what reach <laughs> But like, you know what I mean? Like if, if, if more and more people know about this sort of stuff, then hopefully like there will be some change and we all need it, right? Like we're all in yeah. it. And um, I, I think that's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ricky, just last one for me. You got any new uh, shout outs for any new music you've heard recently, particularly anything that's come out? I mean, it's only the you know first month, but anything for 2024? Uh, yeah. Like I've been Sprint's new record. That's really great. The yeah, Irish band. Absolutely. 100 uh, brilliant brilliant rap boy rap boy's new record yeah, that's yeah, really yeah. great um that um, one of my favorite bands of last year whose new ep is coming out in march uh marugia Ooh, from manchester uh absolutely amazing it's like if you took a little bit of opus kink and then it's basically like post-punk but the drummer also is amazing he plays like uh, drummer bass flares and stuff as well wow, but it's right. with a saxophone um, but it's very political music as well. Uh, but it's so good live. It's like the, the the effect that it has on you, like frequency wise live. It's like you just can tell that band is going to be like a massive deal. 
Um, Maruja, Maruja, yeah, M A R U U J A. They're from Manchester. Um, yeah, there's man, there's I, I listen to so many different things. The new Alkaline Trio record, but I don't count. They're not a new band. <laughs> <laughs> I have like, there is one thing I also wanted to say is that uh, the joiners has incredible uh, merch, has really good merch design on their t-shirts. Thanks. So uh, <laughs> if, uh, if anyone needs a new t-shirt, I'd highly recommend going and purchase one of those. Yeah, um, we, we don't have any at the minute because uh, <laughs> <laughs> because we didn't have any money. Don't say that. Don't say that. Print any. Um, but we will have some in two weeks' time. There we go. Oh, well, uh, by the time this comes out, it will already be... Well, I'll edit this out. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just more of a case of like we float money, so then we need money to print merch. But yeah. also, I'll I'll sort all the merch out, so it's like an extra job for me. Um, so I'm always like, we I know a bunch of freelance illustrators and stuff, so we try and use those people, pay those people for jobs, and then they get exposure through the medium of the venue socials and stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, keep keep it you know independent help people out that are struggling as well you know in nice. all sorts of ways even the screen printers are fantastic mikey who is called vino sagra um he runs that in the west country he started it in a garage and now he's got a massive warehouse amazing it's great amazing. yeah yeah great stuff oh it's so yeah. good it's like you know connected this way this is brilliant um i think that we're we're done for questions right tom yeah, man. Yeah, just want to say thanks to Werricky. Obviously, I think, you know, this is really new. We don't really know how far it's going, but, you know, getting you on, like, Jordan is such an important sort of cultural venue for Samsung and the country. So, it, you know, I think a lot of people outside of repping and at live industry will also, especially in Samsung, I think, be really interested in hearing what you've got to say. So, yeah, really appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, no worries, man. It's good to, like, I haven't done any press stuff in forever because I just got bored of answering the same questions about, venues and it's like well why do you think the venue's closing and i'm like okay here we go again yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm like you know it's like the bbc stuff and yeah, once yeah. you've done once you've done them one or two times it's like it's i'm, I'm like okay this is not that interesting whereas like the floor's collapsing and almost killing 500 people <laughs> yeah that's good stuff that's what people want it's a story that needs to be told yeah yeah <laughs> sure. 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 Sure.